thing I wore a matching belt. <laughs> so uh, anyway, there we go. But the last part of uh, uh, March, we were in Turkey for 10 days. I think you guys saw the video uh, that came out of that conference. We actually brought in the Russian brothers and the Eurasian missions uh, board, uh, which I'm part of, which represents the Heartland churches and some of the Texas churches and one of the L.A. or two of the L.A. churches. Our churches collectively uh, take up support. We send it to our brothers and sisters in Russia. It was the first time we had met together in three years. And so it's a very challenging time over there, obviously. Uh, the Russian churches are in a tough situation. And, uh, you know, war is horrible no matter how you slice it and dice it. And, uh, you know, it's just a different environment over there. And so the Russians and the Ukrainians have been trying to forge peace together. And there's obviously a lot of emotions there and things that are going on. And even if the war were to end tomorrow, I just think there's going to be things that we're going to need to be praying for them to continue to work towards unity because it's, it's not easy. It's not easy. And it's inexplicable, you know, how these things are happening. But the Russian churches remain faithful. Uh, there are more people becoming disciples. I think some of it's driven by the intensity of the situation going on over there. You know, things like this happen, and all of a sudden we get a wake-up call. Yeah. You know, like, life is pretty serious. I'll be honest with you, and the Johnsons can testify to this as well. If you've been to Russia before, you know life is a lot more challenging even there than it is here in the United States. Very challenging. And so, but things are moving forward. It was a great time with them. And we are in the process, as you guys are, of collecting special missions. But we spent some time with uh, the Russian brothers over there and uh, just had a great time. Then uh, right after that time in uh, Turkey, came home and had a biopsy. I mean, there's nothing like having a biopsy. <laughs> uh, right, Dave? I mean, you got to just love the biopsy. And uh, then the first... What's that, buddy? Twelve biopsies. Okay. Then we had a Heartland Church Leaders Retreat the first week of April. Then I got my biopsy results, which I think most of you have heard. You know, they did find cancer in my prostate. Um, so, you know, that's kind of an up and down kind of a thing, working through it. Uh, we obviously had our Easter service in Omaha like you guys did here. Uh, then we had this planned vacation with our daughter, Romika, who lives in Fort Worth. And Wendy and I and Romika went to Ireland and Scotland for 10 days. Uh, it was a fabulous experience. And uh, I got to drive the car uh, on the wrong side of the road with the stick shift in the wrong part of the car, the steering wheel on the opposite side, and lanes that are so narrow. The first few, the first few hours, you're passing on common cars, and you're just closing your eyes and saying... The word stay in your lane takes on a whole new meaning over there. <laughs> it was scary. I mean, that first night we got to our, our second hotel and I was so tense I could barely move my head. You know, and the girls are like, hey, let's go here, let's go there. Like, sure, let's do it, you know. <laughs> but it was, it was an amazing trip. We spent some time with the church in Edinburgh, had an opportunity to hear uh, Doug. Jacoby gave a lesson at, with the Edinburgh Church that one Sunday, and so it was just a lot of fun, you know, but Turkey, and then like three weeks later, Scotland and Ireland, I was pretty tired, and uh, then I've, you know, since that time we got home, I've had more follow-up doctor visits and tests, and fortunately, all the scans so far have come back negative, 
Just glad they didn't do a brain scan. Uh, <laughs> that would probably confirm the obvious. But uh, I do have one more consult remaining two weeks from tomorrow, and then I'll be making a decision. Uh, peripherally, it looks like we've caught it early. It's fairly contained, and it should be very treatable. I just have to make a decision of what of the negative side effects do I want to endure the most. Uh, the way, I, I sum it up this way. The way it looks right now, my three options are I could, I could leak like a sieve forever, I could uh, glow in the dark forever, or I could go through menopause. <laughs> so neither of them sounds super enticing. And some of you can relate to what I'm talking about. I know it, you know. But uh, amen. It's, it's amazing to live in a time where we can actually really begin to cure things like cancer. And so I do have options, and I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for that. But it's also one of those deals like, oh, come on, you got to be kidding me. Seriously, I've taken good care of myself most of my life. And, but I also kind of knew this was my future because, you know, I've been having, you know, some issues since I, you know, was 25 after a bad case of strep throat. It's a long, you don't want to hear it. Uh, <laughs> but anyway. Um, and then, you know, we did GEP with John and Karen Lewing in John and Karen Lewing in the Omaha Church the first week of May. And I'm telling you, it was intense. I know you guys did it as a church about a decade ago. And through their experience and, and, and opportunities to frequently do it, they changed the... It's, it's such a robust package now for the churches. It, but it was exhausting, preparing uh, good enough parenting. Uh, it's, you know, the idea basically being you're good enough. Here's some things that, you know, are from Scripture that can really help us with their parenting. It, there's no such thing as the perfect parent. Um, and, uh, but anyway, it's, it's great training. There's a lot of teaching and, and things that we're going to be going through as a church. We've got mentorships established. Um, there's follow-up accountability that's going to happen every four to six weeks with John and Karen um, for our mentors and our facilitators. It's a, but I believe it is an, an essential opportunity. It's one of many things that churches can do to, to wage this war that we are engaged with. Make no doubt about it, guys. We are engaged in a spiritual warfare. Yeah. I'm telling you, I feel for our young parents. Yeah. Things are coming at your kids and at you so fast and furious that you can't keep up. And so um, for those of you who were parents even in your 20s or early 30s and you're thinking, well, I wasn't a kid that long ago. Well, I got to tell you, you're already two iterations behind, maybe three, with what's coming out after your kids. So... The idea of Ephesians 6.4, where parents are encouraged by God to nurture interactions and minimize exasperating interactions is so critical. Uh, it's just volumes of how God speaks to us through his word. And even in the fields of like psychology and counseling and other things, they're just coming up with so much data and so much analysis today that just confirms the beauty and the power of God's message. It is amazing. It is amazing. So, you know, Ken and I have talked a little, because you guys went through this a decade ago. I'm starting a conversation with John to see, hey, you know, if you guys wanted to, what can we do to re-embrace and retool ourselves for rolling that out potentially here in Wichita? And I know there's been great uh, things happening here. I, I'm so comforted and encouraged by you guys. And, uh, you know, some of the things that I've just thought of, you know, you've had three baptisms in 2023. Yeah. 
Jacob and Isaac and Beth. I mean, you can't get more biblical than those names right there. I mean, come on. Three baptisms and three baptisms of really strong Bible names. Um, the board, you know, the, the, the folks that are committed to working the board, meeting regularly and working through and finding ways to help get the kids to camp this year and, you know, doing some things there. you got a phenomenal church board. You know, you really do. And I'm just so grateful for them. Uh, the church is doing, you know, just fantastic work. I, I was so proud of the search team and the work that they've done and prayerfully that they'll do in the future as well. Uh, a lot of time was spent interviewing people. And you guys went through a process of interviewing a couple of candidates. Unfortunately, it didn't work out. But, amen, these are things that you're doing on your own and collectively with each other. You know, the worship team, and you know, even today, the worship was just great. I know there's a lot of effort that goes into preparing worship and leading worship and those kinds of things. You know, you're doing most of your own internal preaching and teaching now, which is fantastic. Uh, we've talked about earlier on, you know, finding ways to, to make more time and room for hospitality in our lives and, you know, just to simplify life and keep things going from that perspective. And, and so not all of these things all the time work as well as we want them to be, but we need to remember we're always good enough. We always need to be striving to be more, not to do more. Notice I didn't say do more, but just be more, be more fulfilled in our relationship with Christ and God as our Father, and with one another as brothers and sisters. So what I want to talk to us about this morning is coming to us from this idea of perseverance. Perseverance. From James chapter 1, verses 2 and 4. And by the way, let me back up a minute. Here is the, here is the updated Good Enough Parenting book for, from John and Karen. And uh, I've also got some extra books that I could, you know, we bought them for Omaha. We would sell them to you guys here in Wichita. It's a much easier version than the first book they came out with. That thing was a, you know, Karen and David have a copy. It's a thick manual. I mean, you know, you, you could, you know, if you got a leak in your roof, man, that thing would do a great job of, it was, it was robust. Uh, but in James chapter 1, verses 2 and 4, here's what God tells us through the brother of Jesus, James. Did you know James was the brother of Jesus? Okay, good. You still got to listen to the rest of my speech. Uh, in James chapter 1, verses 2 and 4, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, that whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So hopefully you've got your swords open. And you can look at this passage yourself, either in your paper Bible or your phone Bible. But I want you to just look at this passage and, and read over it yourself for about a minute. Just dwell on it. And as you're dwelling, I want you to think about specific words that grab your attention. Not sentences or chunks of a sentence, but what specific word grabs your attention?
Okay. So I want you to raise your hand if you've got a word that grabs your attention. We'll start back there with Madhvi. And by the way, Madhvi is with us from Omaha as well. Madhvi Gandhi. She's sitting. Oh, Madhvi Bargman. I'm sorry. Madhvi got married a few years ago. And anyway, Madhvi. Awesome. Okay, you've been reading my notes. Endurance. <laughs> Let's go back here with Muffin. Let. Let. Awesome. Dave? Joy. 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 Is your name Dave? Mike. Mike. Yeah. I had four letters right. Yeah. Pure right. joy. That's right. Link? Uh, complete. Complete. Yes. Teresa? Perfect. Perfect. Ken? Joy and trials, like a sandwich. AC. Testy. Testy? Testy. Testing. Excellent. Joy. Face trials. Absolutely. Mark. Sorry? Mature. Karen. Many kinds. Uh, Heather. Whenever. Whenever. Anybody else? Back here. Troubles. And what was the other one? Opportunity. Great. Thank you. What was your name? James. Thank you, James. Yes. Full effect. Nice. What was your name? Amy. Great. One more. Lewis. I just, you've got out there perseverance. It's, it's in the middle. It's in the middle. <laughs> I, bet, I bet there's a reason it's in the middle. Exactly. I mean, you guys nailed all the key words of this particular text. You know, I wrote down consider. I wrote down pure. I wrote down joy, trials, temptations, testing, perseverance twice, mature, Complete, not lacking. So if you think about this particular two-verse text, what, what's, the primary, what's the primary encouragement for us here? And if you know the book of James very well, within the greater context of James's book, what's the primary encouragement for us? Which is with the word expressed as how? Perseverance, which is not to give up. Perseverance. Perseverance. It's so important for us to remember this idea of perseverance. I got a home. Okay, I started it bad. I'm sorry. but That's why we sing that song, right? We're persevering. We all have persevered over different things in our life, right? You're persevering through something right now. Perseverance is a good thing. So let me ask you this question. Um, What does perseverance do for us? 
Strengthens us. What else? Builds character. What else? Matures us. What else? Completes. What else does perseverance do? Sorry? Bakeries? Victories. Victories. Awesome. I'm thinking muffins, pies, cakes. What? What's going on, Lewis? Victories. Yeah. Perseverance brings victories. Yeah. If it if it is if it's worth doing, it's worth doing what? Right or well? I'm sorry. It changes our thinking. Changes and how? Amen. And it, it changes the way that you think about trials. Amen. Absolutely. So let me ask you this question. Oh, Mary. No, not Mary. Christy. Refines our, Refines our character. Yeah, absolutely. So stand up if you've been a disciple since the 1970s. Since the 1970s. Since the 1970s. That's perseverance right there. Anybody in the 1960s? Okay. Nothing wrong with that. 1980s. Stand up if you've been a disciple since the 1980s. Yeah. Stand up if you've been a disciple since the 1990s. Come on. A lot of good things happened in the 90s. Stand up if you've been a disciple since like 2000 to 2009. Who became a disciple in that time period? 2000 to 2009. All right. The 2010s. Come on. And the 2020s. 2020s. That's perseverance. There were a lot of opportunities along the way for each of us, each of us to walk away for a variety of different reasons, whether it was worldliness, temptation, recognizing the times that we have failed, pressure, sometimes just faithlessness, doubts. Distancing ourselves, discouragement, busyness, all kinds of different things that can happen, but we fought through them, we've done what we've needed to do, and we're persevering. We've been persevering. Note here in verse 12 of James chapter 1, it says, Blessed is the man and woman who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. I think one of the things God is trying to tell us with so many scriptures, you know, there's over 30 scriptures, probably closer to 50, if you kind of wordsmith things a little bit different, and depending on your translation, just in the New Testament, there's 30 to 50 exhortations for us to persevere. And I think what God is trying to teach us through this is that we embrace testing, we embrace trials, not for what they are, but for what God is going to do with them. Let me say that again. We don't embrace trials 
and testing and even temptations for what they are, but we embrace them for what God is going to do with them. I have, I have, a, I, I have a plastic little plaque on my, I used to have it on my desk in my corporate job that said, God is, often uses uh, troubles to fashion us for greater things. It was one of those $1 things that my son bought me in second grade one year when he, you know, they had the, the Christmas thing for their parents where the kids could buy dollar Christmas. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of times I remember in my work days looking at that little plaque on my desk and reminding myself how true that was. Now, I want to think that my son had this brilliant mind in the second grade, but I'm sure his mom was a big influence with that particular purchase. But it's true. Trials and troubles that we go through are tools which God uses to fashion us for greater things. You know, in Acts 14.22, when Paul is commencing his first missionary journey, and I can't remember what church he's with there. I think he was on his way to Lystra or Derby, not the Derby in Kansas, <laughs> but the one back in Palestine. And he says, we must go through many hardships to enter through the kingdom of God. And he's talking about people with day in and day out struggles who were coming to faith in Jesus Christ, who were walking away from their strict Judaistic lifestyle, or they're walking away from their hardcore paganistic approach to life. And they're really facing a lot of heat from people for following this Jesus person, for becoming these disciples. Even Jesus warned us, warned us of many trials, right? In this world, you will have trouble. You will have trouble. And I don't think we need to go looking it out, per se. I'm not, I'm not encouraging you to go from here and say, okay, I got to go find some trouble. Trouble, trouble, trouble. But at the same time, we really need to embrace, you know, the setting we have here in America where, you know, we, we kind of like coach each other to avoid trouble, to not deal with it, go out and medicate ourselves. Some, and I don't even think it doesn't even have to involve medication. It can involve other things that we use to kind of not deal with the troubles or the challenges that we may be facing. But remember, we don't embrace the trial or the testing but we do embrace what God is going to do with us through that. The James text here reminds us that persevering in trials matures us. It completes us. Helps us to grow. Helps us to realize that, hey, you know, life isn't as complicated as we often make it out to be. And it forces us to like, am I going to rely on God or am I going to rely on myself and man in whatever particular situation? So there's a lot of things that persevering does for us in terms of completing us, making us better equipped for life, better equipped with one another. And we've had some trials here, have we not? In the Omaha church, have we not had some trials? We've had a bucket load of trials. Newsflash, we've had a bucket load of trials in Omaha. And all of us, if we're really engaged in the mission of God, in building godly homes and building a godly family, and sharing our faith with a lost and dying world around us, we are going to have troubles. 
We had them in Omaha, too. Every church is having troubles. Did I say Omaha twice? I meant Wichita. Thank you, Madvi. She does. Yes. We all had cultural challenges. We're going to have more cultural challenges. We got to define, guys, are we on God's mission? Are we part of God's kingdom? Are we going to get drawn into and sucked into the kingdom of man? You know, remember in every when 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 discipleship, when the disciples were exploding in the first century, you know, they had a lot of lot of wicked guys were the Caesars. But it, it, but it was that clarity that people saw the different mindsets, the different attitudes, the different lifestyles of the disciples that drew people to them. Not that they lived separatist, separatist lifestyles, but they just lived under the direction of their heavenly father. The idea of love and what love actually... And even in the first century church, I mean, we read about a lot of problems that happened in the first century church. Most of the, except for two letters, every letter that Paul wrote had to address a specific problem or a challenge or a trial in every given city. Guess what? We're family, whether we like it or not. We are now members of God's household. We are brothers and sisters. So take even your own biological family and raise your hand or stand up and sing loudly. If your family and in your family today and in your family in the past, you never had any problems, struggles, or trials, raise your, raise, stand up and sing out loud. I don't know what you're going to sing, sing, but sing whatever you want. I didn't think so. I didn't think so, right? But they're still our family. We've had cultural challenges. Last year, we experienced a very abrupt and tumultuous leadership change in the church here. We've been working through relational challenges. We've obviously been struggling through hiring challenges. We struggle sometimes with coordination of effort challenges. We've got a lot of people doing different things now. Things don't always fly at a nice, smooth altitude. Gosh, I remember flying home from Turkey in the last part of that trip. Or no, it was Ireland. Was it Ireland or Turkey? Ireland. We're sitting in the back of the plane. Bad place to sit with turbulence because it's exacerbated. At the, you plane guys, figure this out, would you? Because I can't afford the nicer seats. Think about us people in the back row. You think we want to ride a roller coaster for four hours? No. I want smooth air in the back as well. It's called a yaw damper. It probably wasn't working. Oh, something wasn't working. We had four hours of just very nerve-wracking turbulence. It was not fun. Couldn't find smooth air. And sometimes that happens with us working together. We don't always fly at smooth air, right? There can be some turbulence. And that's okay. Consider it pure joy. Don't keep a record of wrong. Consider it pure joy. Okay, God, what are you trying to teach me? Do I need to learn how to be patient? Is this a test of me being loving? 
you know. Is this person, this brother or sister, need some help, some encouragement? I don't know. Trials and tests have a way of helping us focus on what is the end goal. Again, trouble comes my way. A little better. It's still in the C range, though. You get a B plus. You were, yep. It's important that we use these times to clean off and clean out the trivial. And that we adjust as needed. A-D-J-U-S-T, adjust. You know, it's going to be a while before we find additional candidates, but we don't, we don't need to rely on that. You guys have the ability, you have the knowledge, you are equipped, you are thoroughly loved, you are empowered to do God's will together as you have been doing. Now, has the air always been smooth? Nope. Will the air always be smooth going forward? No, it will not. It will not. But you are equipped. You are good enough. And by the way, there's a lot of churches looking for full-time help. You need to be praying about that for here. If you know people who know people who know people who's Uncle John, who had a friend Barney, who had a sister Doris, you know, network, you know, network, please. But I think going forward, it's time we started shoring up a few things. You know, we haven't put a whole lot of, of structure in place, just kind of thinking we would, we would fill the, the role probably by April or May of this year. Well, guess what? We're through that. And uh, so we didn't, we didn't jump into organizing a bunch of structure because we were going to be like, okay, let's let the church work together with whoever the new hires are going to be, and we'll put it, well, that's not going to happen right away. So we kind of need to, like, take a step back and do some retooling and refocusing, and we're going to do that. We'll figure it out. And it's going to be great, just like it's already been great. This is God's church. This is Christ's church church. This is the body. You are the body of Christ, right? Amen. In October of last year, I did a lesson. I'm sure you remember it wholeheartedly. In fact, you could probably give it to me right now. You could stand up and verbally share it. But the lesson was called, When Has the Impossible Ever Stopped God? And I read a quote within that from this outfit called the Institute for the Future. There's actually an institute, part of Stanford University, called the Institute for the Future. And apparently, these future institutes are popping up in a lot of universities today. And you know what they're doing? They're trying to help young people learn how to plan and think ahead. Don't just live in the moment or necessarily stuck in the past. How do you plan for the future? Because one of the things that comes out of the, uh, the institute's data and their research is that people who don't think about the future are less engaged with society. They save less for retirement. They make poor health decisions. They procrastinate more. They have a harder time resisting temptation. They care less about long-term challenges, and they're more likely to drop out of school or be arrested. 
And there's a longer list associated with this as well. I thought that was enough. <laughs> but God's been screaming this to us forever. Make no mistake about this. This is not new wisdom. This is newly found man wisdom. But God's been telling us this forever. Think about the future. You know, when you face God in judgment, whether you pass on or Jesus returns tomorrow or whatever the case may be, are the things that are upsetting you today going to be the first 10 things that come through your mind? I don't think so. Jesus gives us this picture in the book of Revelation that we're just going to be able to, I don't even know what we'll be able to say at all, like that song says, you know, uh, I can only imagine, you know. We got a couple of passages here in Hebrews chapter 12. It says uh, in verse 1 through 3 of Hebrews 12, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes in Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, because for the joy set before him, listen to this, for the joy set before him, God tells us, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners that you too do not grow weary and you do not lose heart. So think about the things that we allow to upset us today. And then overlay that with Jesus preparing for and working through and living through the scorn of the cross. And that'll change our outlook in a nanosecond. I don't know exactly what that is, but it's really fast. Because Jesus saw the future. He knew the future. He was living for the future. He was living for your future and my future, cancer or no cancer. The one cancer I don't want to get is cancer of my heart, the cancer of my soul, the cancer of sin. Prostate cancer is nothing in the grand scheme of eternity. It's going to be a trial. It's going to be some struggles. There might even be some temptations. But I have my hand, my heart, and my head fixed on my destination. And you do too. We're encouraged to persevere. Hebrews chapter 11. In the same Hebrew book, a little bit further back, we have this great story for us in 24 and 25 where God tells us, by faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose instead to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. We know that story of Moses, right? We've seen the cartoon. We've probably watched the Ten Commandments at least 42 times in our lifetime. It's on every Easter. Charlton Heston. I remember watching that movie for the first time at a movie theater in 1968, and I was, like, mesmerized. And if you watch it today, it's still pretty good technique for something that was made 70 years ago. So you young people, you know, 
us older people got some jive too. So here's my encouragement for us guys. Keep it going in Wichita. Keep it going. A lot of really great things have been happening this past year. You are persevering and you're doing more than persevering. You're collectively doing the work together. Some things are falling through the cracks, but amen. Such is life. We persevere. We work together. We worship together. We love together. We lead together. We proclaim God's mission together. Love one another deeply is what God tells us. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. If we drop the ball, pick it up and go. If you see an opportunity or an oversight, get engaged. I love what you guys are doing. Think about what you're doing, what has been accomplished, and what is yet to be accomplished together. Galatians chapter 5, 13 and 14. Can I get the band to come up? Do we do the band thing and then the close, or do we the close and then the band thing? How do we do that? I don't remember. It's been three months. We close and then do the band thing? Announcements, and then the band thing. What's our what's our last song? Friend of God. Can we change that up for a second, just for today? Can we sing Friend of God, and then do the announcements, and close? Is that all right? So yeah, singers, can you come up here? We'll persevere. <laughs> See, a little bit of last-minute change, it's not the end of the world. The service order was made for us. We were not made for the service order. <gasps> they forgot to do that. <gasps> it's okay. Last I checked, Jesus is still Lord. Galatians 5, 13 through 14. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you, debite, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. We need to take that just as seriously as we do every other verse when it comes to things like repentance and baptism. Trust me, brothers and sisters, repentance and baptism mean nothing if we can't love one another deeply, if we can't overlook one another's sins and struggles and difficulties and challenges and be humble and forgive and to love. And then you get up and you love some more. And then you learn some more. And then you greet some more. And then you're hospitable some more. And then you have some more frustrations and you have some more challenges, but you still love through it. And the next thing you know, your love, instead of being a mile deep, is a hundred miles deep. And no matter what happens, God's mission is being participated in by us. I'm going to close with this. It's called the critic. 
people give Ben or Teddy Roosevelt this credit, but really it was God that gets this credit. This comes to us straight from God's word. It's kind of repackaged and reworded, but you can read it. It's not the critic who counts. It's not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done a better job or they could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because uh, of there is no effort without error or shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Keep it going, Wichita. Keep it going. Because we are friends of God. Amen. 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 Okay.